Booyakash, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of Can't Handle the Heat. It's your boy G Swizz. Joined by Jokesy. Jokesy, how are we doing? Doing great. How you doing, G Swizz? Cruising, cruising. Micah, how are we doing, Broski? Doing good. Glad to hear it. Well, Thanks for having me on the pod. Uh, anytime, Mike. Anytime you want to hop on, just know you're you're you know you're you can be an honorable guest as well. Any anytime you want to hop on, uh, Mike. I it. I was I was thinking of you today as I was I don't know. I thought there was like a couple of the Hawaii guys who added eight oh eight on the end of their um, Instagram handles recently. Oh <laughs> no! Oh, from no. Hawaii or not from Hawaii? Not from Hawaii. Definitely like, not from like, Hawaii. Oh, no, I saw for sure Max. I thought Jakob or uh, Philip or one of those guys. I don't know. I thought oh, one of them did. You would hate those guys, the guy, because I know how you feel oh, about the whole. You, oh my god! Oh like they man. speak pigeon all day, every day. That's all they do. Like European oh, pigeon. Yeah, you would. You <laughs> would literally just. Oh man, I could only imagine. I actually um, just talked to Eric, and Eric was like, "Dude, I, the Hawaii men's volleyball is." Gotta be one of the most brutal things on on the island. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I can understand that. Now it it keeps getting it keeps getting more and more. Like it started a, with local well, Joey. It's, well, it's a well known thing. It's like among like Hawaii volleyball players from Hawaii that it's just like oh. Here we it go. doesn't help that they just keep, that they keep winning too, and then it just like increases <laughs> all the I don't know dude. attention on the team. We'll see if they keep – well, they'll keep winning with a schedule like that. I'll say that. Also, I want to give a fat shout-out to who's on this pod, Jake Myers, who talked about BYU being the number one team. They've gone 0-2 versus Penn State. And, and I and I told him Penn State's going to be a good team. You know, I just I, I just want to say I told Penn you State so. Penn State is nice, huh? Yeah, they're nice. They returned everyone, that's why. Um, So they're nice. Oh, okay. There's a lot of other good teams out there. But a lot of teams are getting canceled uh, cancel for COVID. USC's off to a good Canceled culture. The yeah, Sam Coburn, baby. Sam, Sam Coburn, 2-0 versus Santa Barbara. Stanford with a five-setter, 19-21 or 18-20 against UCI. They won last night. They're 2-0 or 3-0, I can't. 3-0. Uh, they beat Lane and twice, I think. Whoa. Um, Stanford-ish? Go card. Yeah, Dude, they, big shout-out to Luke also, Turner. Dude, those are all, all the guys we play with. Oh, yeah. <laughs> dude, they're Luke all those boys. Will, Will Rotman. Um, Peters. Uh Aiden yeah, Peters. Yeah, Aiden Peters. Uh, is there anyone else? Uh, there has to be. I don't it know, but that, that's that's kind of the that's kind of the crew down there. The boys. I wonder if Shayna went up for any matches. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'm a, I'm a Stanford guy. Now. I think they can. I, yeah. I'm with Big the Stanford, Stanford guys. Well, also, they're cool guys. Yeah. Well, the problem with a lot of the men's volleyball right now is a lot of the matches are getting canceled because of COVID. And I know, like Hawaii, they, they're traveling around. Damn, like they're doing a they're doing a <laughs> a tour. Damn near, they're going everywhere. But they're going to Texas, so they're going to the right places. But doesn't matter. So we'll see a lot of games. I, I hope everyone's seasons uh, in good hands. But again, this is not a, a solo dole up. So we're gonna get the Taylor Averill for the first time. I'm surprised it's our first time getting Taylor on here because he's definitely a free thinker like ourselves here, and he's definitely a prominent figure yeah, in the volleyball community. Taylor's gotta be. One of the most free thinkers in the volleyball world. Him and Dustin. Different. They're very different. Different free thinkers. We're like Dustin, Dustin's a more uh, philosophically free thinker, and Taylor's more of just like a like 
he just thinks differently. <laughs> <laughs> he's just different. <laughs> he's just different. But he's got to be one of the biggest characters in the USA gym for sure, no doubt about it. He's definitely yeah. out there. Especially Top growing his social, his social media presence. Also, I have to give a quick shout out to the merch. I'm repping the sweat. I have both of your guys' merch. Mike, I'm still, I have boxes. All the merch that we have still is from the athlete stuff. All of this new stuff is, I have it sitting here. That's all yours. Okay, okay. okay. But I need, an address, I need an address that for sure it will send I to. I gave it to you. Will it for sure get there? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> dude. Pretty sure. Dude, that, dude, that's pretty high chance. <laughs> My good doesn't word. Sound, doesn't sound too high chance. Well, right before we get Taylor on, I want to give a fat shout out to Manscaped here. Cheers to 2022 and resolutions you can actually keep. How about having clean and shiny balls all year round? Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to save your balls this year and make the ball drop into 2022 the cleanest and sexiest ever. Set your first New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the 4 million men worldwide who trusted Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use the code, Joey. Volleyballs, like always. I saw people commenting some funny yeah, stuff on YouTube. That's pretty, that's pretty funny. Volleyballs, all cap, for 20% off and free worldwide shipping. Without further ado, the Taylor April. You can, you can handle the heat. Yeah. You can, you can handle the heat. We are now joined here by ex-Rainbow Warrior, U.S. National Team Middle, and all-around free thinker, Taylor Averill. Taylor, thank you so much for hopping on the pod, bro. Yeah, thanks for having me, boys. Absolutely. Hey, wait, I got to say something really right off the bat. Oh, this yeah, is yeah. like This is like the oh, first yeah. time... All of us have talked together, and I got to be honest, it's quite a surprise for me. Because this is a surprise, dude. What's surprise? That this is the first time. Just we're that talking? this is the first time we're all just like hanging out, you know. That's true. That is true. That, I, mean, I like, agree. Joe and Gage, both of you guys, like, obviously we haven't built much of a relationship. Joe, we didn't play together. Gage, we didn't play together. But like Micah and I, for example, like you know, we had times where we were, we were boys, dude. You know, and you guys both went to UH. Like, you guys are good dudes. I'm just surprised, that's all. No, that's true. So he's calling us out for not bringing him on the pod. <laughs> no, dude. No, fuck me. I don't care about the podcast. I'm talking about, you know, just, just being friends, dude. I'm just surprised, that's all. That's true. That is true. I feel like we, there's a lot of connections, and a lot of uh, cross paths that could have happened that I guess just didn't happen. Well, yeah, first I'll time go. for everything, I guess. That's well, right. We, we have a lot of stuff we want to kind of get into. The first, one of the first things that I saw, I remember I was looking on your Instagram a while ago, and you and we asked this question when we go to club volleyball tournaments. We ask this question when we go anywhere. It's what's the hardest position in volleyball? And usually the the people who, uh, for example, if you're a setter, they're gonna say setter, and outside say outside, and you're a middle, and you embrace debate. So we want to kind of get hot into it because I know Micah and Joe have, and I have my strong takes about what's the hardest position in volleyball. And I'd like to ask you the question and uh, provide details as as of why. Yeah. Well, it's we can use a simple process of elimination. Mm-hmm. We know it's not the hardest position in volleyball. You know, so that's obviously. That. Ooh. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Libero is obviously not the hardest position. <laughs> okay, that's true. <clears throat> I mean, neither is opposite. We can just get rid of those two. Get give me a break, dude. Opposite's not that hard. What do you, so so what do you base the real it off? The, instinct gut instinct? <laughs> <laughs> but like, like like what 
my hardest, what do you think is like, do you think it's like physically demanding, mentally demanding, or like what's okay, hardest let's, for you? Let's actually get rid of positions and let's talk about what's the hardest skill. And to me, the hardest skill is read blocking. And in fact, I think it's the skill that potentially, and I, we won't even call it read blocking. I mean, just reading the game. And I think true. middle middle is the one position that's constantly reading the game, like constantly has to read every scenario and take in so much information. <clears throat> Whereas like, okay, setters game planning and strategizing and, and, and outsides are for the most part, just like they can to some degree they're reading as well. Like obviously pins are reading as well, but I think read reading the game is the hardest skill. It takes the longest to develop. Therefore the position that reads the most is probably the hardest one, you know? That's true, but you're all okay. So you could. So, all right, Joe, I'll let you get into it. No, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, Gage, you finish it. You're saying no, no, no. You go, you go, you go, you go. No, the oh, thing. Wait, wait. Last the thing, thing that... I want to add. Last thing I have to add. <laughs> it's the position that gets the least amount of credit, and I think has the hardest skill. And so that combined, I think, makes it also a difficult position to play. Okay. No, that's very bad. And reblocking for sure, I would say, is definitely up there is like a hardest skill. It's a very difficult, to, especially at the levels that um, like all of us are playing at. Like the, the setting, everything that goes into it, the speed of the game is so fast and the decision-making. The one thing that Micah and I talk about a lot is how the setting position is perceived by coaches and like the outside world and like the reactions that you get. For example, let's just say uh, on a misconnect in the middle, like any type of misconnection is always looked at towards the setter. It's never looked at like in as a mistake for anybody else. And also something I was, I was even talking to my coach about this the other day. One thing like mentally as a setter, and this happens all the time in matches and games and practice. It's like if a setter misconnects or it makes a decision and the guy gets blocked, even a solo block or something, setters, I feel like most setters take it like on themselves, like it's their fault for the team getting blocked and then say the next play is like an ace then you get out of system ball the hitter hits out the, like as a setter you kind of get viewed upon like oh we wouldn't have lost that game if you didn't set this guy in this situation because he got solo block it's like but me personally and mike has said this at the same time it's like going back and looking at video you would set the same ball every single time over and over and i think like more on like the pressure side of things and how the setting position is critiqued makes it in our eyes like the most difficult position because you're handling so much and like every single thing is critiqued at such a high level like if you if you lose a game the first thing i know at least this season to our coach the first thing he does is come look at all right offensively like what happened there why didn't we close out the set like why didn't we score in these situations every every decision is critiqued at such a high um with such a like a keen eye that i feel like it makes it super difficult to go out where for example an outside he could pass really poorly he's scoring on those balls nobody's going to really kind of question those things like you can make up for things in every other position by doing another skill really well where at the setting position if you are making mistakes as, as a setter like it doesn't matter really how you're serving anything like everybody's just going to talk about how you made a wrong decision or how you made a uh, poor set that wasn't whatever and so yeah, i feel like that's kind of going in okay because we both we both think the same thing <laughs> so i think that setting is most difficult 
people. And I think people are judging it based on different criteria in a sense where I do think that middle is, can be the hardest position and like, like reading would be the hardest job. However, the responsibility is not placed on you where you are going to get blamed if it's a perfect pass and you guess wrong and it's one-on-one because people Fair. accept that and people are like, yeah, like you commit, you jump with the middle on a perfect pass. No one's coming and yelling you at a timeout. Like, what are you doing? Or like, why aren't you doing your job? Where it's like, we understand that that's super difficult and that you're going to be wrong a lot. And your eyes can kind of just like not be focused on a middle, even if they're read blocking terribly. It's never the loss or win is not the responsibility of the middle. Whereas like <clears throat> setting, you have a huge responsibility and the skill itself might not be as difficult, but the expectation of you to perform that skill every time perfectly is, is, is there. And it's like at a higher level. Does that make sense? Yeah, you guys did such a good job. And you know what? You've totally persuaded me. I'm all <laughs> setter is the no, hardest no, no, position. No, no, it's no, no, official. No. Seriously, you know? seriously, seriously, though. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I totally, I, I totally get it. <clears throat> so the question is like, what do you define? What's your definition of hardest position? Right. That's where I think we need to clarify the question because people have made good points where I'm like, yeah, middle would be the hardest if you were to just like, break it down of everyone doing their job perfectly, it would be the hardest for a middle to do the job perfectly. But the expectation is not for you to do it perfectly. You get a block touch here, you get a block touch there, and you did a great job. Whereas like setter, it's like you mess up a few sets and it's like, dude, like every ball's gotta be good. I've heard every, know. I've heard athletes from every position present, even in opposite, Rattle Parapunov, previous opposite at University of Hawaii, he's presented a good case for why opposite could be the hardest position like mentally and he he's like i could score every single ball and if it's 22 22 and i get a ball and i hit out that's all everybody remembers and that's all i all get right. criticized for so let's let's so, let's break it down so what do you honestly think i mean let's break down like what's hard so skill mental responsibility um maybe what position requires you to be in the best physical shape i don't know if that matters or not also you think about something like outside you have to be really proficient in a handful well, well, of different right, skills. Right, 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 right. So, I mean, I don't know. It really depends on how you define. I mean, obviously this is subjective and yet it's probably not, dude. We just need to collect the, the right scientific data and ask the right questions to get an objective answer. And that's a hard, that's quite the quest. So, so one thing that we like to do, I know with like our content and what stuff we always talk about um, is we like to compare our stuff. Cause we, we want to move like volleyball towards the type of conversations that like, and they're having with the NBA, NFL. So I'm thinking like, okay, how do they really look at like, what's the hardest position in those types of sports? Like, what are they looking for to right. debate that type, debate those in like NBA, like, NFL? A lot of it comes like quarterback. Like, yeah, being an offensive lineman is more difficult, but how much of responsibility and decision-making are they making? For, or like point guard impact like, of the yeah, game they, as well they're running the, they're running the offense they're making a lot of the decision making and the rest of it like you could be physical but like you still have to make these decision making and you have a huge amount of responsibility right so it seems like micah like everything and i think we both argue more so towards like the responsibility aspect and the like 
pressured to perform like your given skill whereas like you can compare like to other positions in other sports but um and taylor's more looking at like just the individual skills that you need to be able to perform that right and i think i think you can i'm just putzing around you know i I don't really know i just like of course i'm I'm giving my case for the middles really is what's happening but no totally and i think like i think you look at every other sport too because i think we always like tied in other sports i think if you look at every other sport every skill every position where it requires like a very skilled uh a very skilled like skill set that you need for whether it's like offensive linemen uh or like stuff like that who kind of do the dirty work where everybody understands it's difficult and understands that there's going to be mistakes where for example at the quarterback position you make like a a dump throw like make a bad read and dump throw like that's that's magnified in such a large way rather than like a missed blocking assignment like you can you can get away with it too like people understand with some stuff and so i think Gage, I don't know if you have any intel on this. I think you're the most like biased, mm-hmm. or not biased, but most like neutral. <laughs> like both of us are on such like I feel like opposite sides. I don't know if you have a viewpoint on how well the best way to judge the most difficult position is. Well, obviously, I think if we were to judge it on just like physical attributes, I would definitely say the middle blocker is. Here's where it gets dicey. Here's where it gets dicey. It is the mental game, right? For let's say, let's say you take the um, how do I put this? the the mental strain out of it right for example and just look at okay like mentally thinking you have decision making with setters and then you have read block with middles the read blocking is a harder position but you don't have as much room for error when it comes to setting so that's where i get that because because the uh because like like micah said everyone kind of has that uh, so here here here's something that i it's, it's, can you lose can you lose a game what can you lose a game with more if like you're middles are missing like blocking assignments more or if your setter is just making bad decisions okay. and no, not no, no. the question balls. the question to ask is how often are setters making mistakes and let's try our best to like okay let's just let's go to like the highest the highest level right let's say setters in italy or poland or or germany whatever like really high level setters <clears throat> How often do you think, and maybe both of you guys can touch on this, how often, let's say per set, do you think you've made a mistake? And I don't mean decision-making. I mean like a set where they like can't do something with it or like a bad, something is like a bad set. Let's even say like a ball that's too tight. I don't even want to say that because now I think hitters are evolving to be able to handle like so bad sets, let's say. What do you guys think? Totally. The, uh, Sorry, there was another thought I had. Mike, if you want to go for this, I just had another thought. I was, but it's a little off topic. You go, Mike, first on this. To answer Taylor's question? Yeah. Probably, How many times do you think at the highest level? Probably like once or twice a set. Yeah, I was going to say one or two. And it, mo- it mostly comes in. You have a bad set probably twice. Yeah, yeah. For the highest level. Yeah, okay. exactly. So you're not considering like decision-making into into like the errors so much right just more you so like the like, quality really, of the because... setting. yeah right right yeah probably once i would twice. say one or two yeah and you only get away with that you're not getting away with like you're not getting away with a, much more than that if you're not able to hit more than that then those are usually points that you're not winning at the highest levels because what i think is really interesting is 
you know, you guys talk about it like setters have this like huge mental responsibility, right? And that like if they make a bad decision near the end of a end of a match, and that's what potentially people point people from the outside point to is like that's why we lost. So you feel like this mental burden, obviously. You have to, you think you have to deal with it more. What I find is what I find really interesting is like every player feels the same way about their performance almost equally right so like let's let's say like the mental strain on on an athlete in a position to me god it's pretty equal other than maybe libero but even then i'm sure that there's because they know that um their impact is a little bit different on the court i'm sure like gauge to some degree like you take responsibility over like that one ball you got aced in the seam or like, right. You know, that one ball that like you could have played up and instead you shanked it and it went out of bounds or something. Whereas like, it's just, I just find it really interesting because I think what I've recognized is it's amazing how much, uh, like if this is a great example is last night we played, uh, who did we play last night? We played a team. Don't remember who they are, but we played them and a <laughs> Polish team and, uh, we lost no, we lost, yeah, we lost in four, and it was really close game. We should have gone to five. Honestly, we could have won in three. One of those games, and TJ took, like, after the game, TJ and I were the car, and he took, like, a huge responsibility. And, like, to me, he wasn't the reason we lost, but he hit the last ball out of bounds. It was, like, kind of a broken play, and he hit it out of bounds. And it's amazing because also our middles, like, I was – I was on the bench. I'm dealing with some like really bad plantar fasciitis right now. It's really terrible. It sucks. So we're like slowly coming back, but I have a chance now to watch the game as a, from the, from the sidelines. And that's even its own amazing compartment. We could get into like seeing the game from the nets right here to like the sidelines to the stands. It's like, dude, perspective is everything. Um, but I noticed, obviously I'm looking at the middles, right. And I noticed like so many opportunities we had to, to block a ball and missed and yet like tj played really well hits one ball out of bounds and now he's like gone you know mentally just like so destroyed as but, so is our so is our setter so is like everyone takes such a huge load of responsibility that like to some degree i don't think like setter deals with more mental load than like any other player what do you think about that right no i i would mm. agree with that. i think every, everyone based on your character is taking a lot of responsibility um, for losses and feels like their actions could have led to them winning or losing. However, I think there's a different amount of feedback from coaches in that regard. Like I, when I've played as an outside, I get very little feedback in terms of winning and losing based off my performance as well as my decision-making in situations. And then I rarely have seen middles get pulled aside after games and be like, hey, this one you have to do this, this one you have to do that, that this one's kind of on you. And setters, it's maybe like eight out of ten games. Mm. So I think that there's there is a pressure from the coaching staff that's different than on setters than other people. But I do think everyone's taking responsibility in their own mind. Dude, and you know what the real problem is when I'm hearing you talk right now? Middles just don't get enough credit, dude. That's why middles are the baby giraffes, you know? Mm. They're in the they're in the, they're wild in the zoo. We just let the zoo animals roam around and we need to change that. And that's part of what I'm trying to do, you know? Trying to educate well, and make well, I yeah, want I want middle I want coaches to blame everything on the middles. That's where I want it to go. Right now the <laughs> setters take all the load from the coaches. We got to change that, dude. And a part of that is 
teaching people to respect the middle blocker position, dude. And that's, and, yeah. that's my mission. So Let's how, change it. Let's change it, Gage. It's like so the tight you, ends of, yes. of volleyball. So how but do you – sorry, sorry, Joe. Sorry, sorry. Um, I'm just saying they want respect. So how do you – how would you say, like, you impact the game as much, though? You know what I'm saying? Like, where where does the – like, obviously, setters touch the ball every single play. Where The other obvious one is three rotations. Is yeah. Middles are in three rotations. Yeah. Like, that's a huge argument always. That's I not true. Like, middles, middles, are, are, all... middles are in six rotations. There's a middle in every one rotation. One middle. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> but yeah, about but... positions. We're not talking about individuals, boys, okay? Okay, but you can't you can't lump two middles into one though. That 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 doesn't count though. Like if you're we're talking about middle, the position, what are you talking about? So right, but okay, well that that could be another argument for setters. Makes it more difficult is that one <laughs> great middle can't just play all six rotations. He has to share that responsibility with some other guy. Exactly. That's why it's not. That's that's why I feel is like it's. That's like why it's not, even harder. Maybe when you, you get have to be the guy, you get to be the guy not making the mistake or making a mistake. I gotta watch the other guy make the mistake or not make the mistake, dude. Do you know how you hard can be the that most frustrating. You can say the most frustrating position, but I don't think it makes it the hardest position. But then, but then you do take less responsibility for the overall. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, you're, you, dude, you, you guys, individual we're talking impact. about position. Middle position <laughs> takes the responsibility equally. But you can't say that for the outside. In this though. breakdown, in this breakdown, we're talking about positions. So the middle position, I'm not talking about just one individual. I'm talking about the two individuals that make up the middle position in one game. But if, so if one middle is blocking every ball and scoring every ball and the other is not, the coach doesn't go, all right, all the middle. He goes, no, this guy's not yeah, scoring, so yeah, he's yeah, getting yeah, pulled. Yeah, yeah. That's very true. He's not like, he's not like okay, middles. He's like, hey, Taylor, you got to do this or that. But look at, look at, you got to look about how, how are you perceiving this? And a part of it is you said the best setters in the world make one or two let's call them setting errors per set mm -hmm. how many how many bad reads do you think we see per set of, with middles how many missed opportunities in attack like how many and so to me it's definitely more than one or two it's probably I, I actually haven't put any thought into into being like oh how many miss how many times did i misread a ball or misjudge a situation Right. But again, I'm, I'm just looking at it as a middle. I'm just having a little fun with you guys. You know, that's but, all but, but Taylor, that's but listen, the expectation is for you guys to make a lot of mistakes. And we, that's what I'm times... saying, dude. We need to get rid of that expectation <laughs> and hold middles to a higher standard, dude. How many times did I say that? Taylor, Taylor. <laughs> we understand the job is hard. And that's why we can't. It's not realistic to hold you to an expectation to be there on a double block every time. Yeah, it's not realistic to think that you know, 50 years ago, we'd be driving in Ferraris, you know, and holding a, a computer in our pocket. All right, I see what Ooh. you're saying. You're, okay, okay. I have, another part, I have another part of this. How many times do setters touch the ball and how many times do middles touch the ball? Set? 100%, dude, 100%. That's why we need to change that, dude, right now. Best middles in the world. I mean, I think we should go back to middle sets. You know, like classic open gym community center, dude. I think whoever's in the middle should be setting the ball. But that's just me. No bias. No bias. Also, <laughs> and, and you guys, and you guys, I was a setter, dude. I'm one of you. You know what I mean? I'm one of you. This is true. T. Averill so, was a setter. And, and I <laughs> let me take myself back there. I remember what it was like to have that kind of responsibility, you know? To be quite honest, it's so much more fun. Having the responsibility, while it may may seem like responsibility goes in two ways. When you win, it's like, 
you led your team to greatness when you lose and you probably don't even get so much credit i can i can empathize with you boys there you know if you like if you win a sick game in five or like you played really well a lot of the times it's big scores guys who scored the most points that's who's getting the most recognition or a guy who scored the last point or whatever you know right right, right. So that's tough i think that's where actually setters and middles share the same responsibility you know and like doing great things like touching the ball makes such a huge difference and you don't that's not shows it doesn't show up in a in the stat book you know like there's so many little things you can do as a middle that don't show up in the stat book and to some degree it's like no one's reading the setter stat book no one gives a shit you know they want to see who scored the most points who's the best player so i feel you there and i and i think the other thing um that you just have to consider also is that like middles also there's so many things that they get blamed for that i think is not their responsible at the highest levels i'm like like free ball and setting responsibilities i personally think should be way more on liberos i i think middles almost too often are trying to take those balls and it drives me nuts i'm like oh, let I our freaking libero this wrong guy you're saying that's the wrong guy joe i know i know <laughs> and it drives me nuts because i've not like <laughs> dude i'll i always like back so when we were like little little kid playing junior volleyball our club our dad was our coach but our rules like middles do not touch any ball and i never recall all the way through our 18s here like rarely did we miss any free balls or like nobody like <laughs> didn't set the second ball as soon as middles started getting involved in this, all the time we're shanking balls over the net. We're freaking misplay. Yesterday we played a team. The guy set the ball past our three-meter line. The other team. The other team's middle set it past our three-meter line out of bounds. He was setting. I'm like, why is he set? Like the libero was right there to play the ball. I'm like, there's so much that. And so middles, I think they have like some, they have certain, they attacking, blocking, be really good at that. <laughs> I've always, and serving. <laughs> in the setting like for me it's so hey, frustrating though hey, <laughs> those can, small can you hear moments me on this private line why don't you tell joe to just calm down over there okay <laughs> he's taking things a little too far I'm not no i was just like the there's so many times i'm like you miss so you miss opportunities and i'm not saying every middle can't set every middle but i'm just saying no, like general no, system you're being too nice dude most middles can't set that's <laughs> no, the truth most middles can't set most middles should get the shame that comes with being a bad setter you know i've everyone's experienced middles who just can't set and you're just like closing your eyes and you're like yeah let's let the libero take it for the most part i agree um and that's i think the the real issue is that kids are specializing in the middle so early and really i put a lot of responsibility on coaches for example like <clears throat> Something, I mean, Micah, like on your team, when you guys were a kid, obviously everyone knows that story. Like you guys were just legendary all throughout club. And I can imagine like all of you played on the beach, like all of you guys were always playing different positions, more or less, you know? Right. And like, how do you think that impacted the athlete and what you're capable of now as a setter? No, yeah, no, 100%. We all were the same height. Like yeah. there was no like differentiating positions because we all looked the same and we all did the same drills. We all passed every day. We all set every day. We just all we just made my dad just made all of the same player pretty much, and then we just moved their middles around. were the smallest players on the team. I think if I remember right, yeah, your middles yeah, were I always the shortest 18, players. Eighteen zero, I was the tallest 
at 6'2", and Tui and Evan might have been the next tallest. Dude, you're not 6'2". Like, you're not 6'2", but you're like 6'3". Bro, you're not 6'2". Yeah, you're 6'3". Yeah, I am. All right. You're like 6'4". Cool. I was definitely six, the tallest. Gotta be 6'5", at least. Bro, you got like a size of 19 foot. What are you talking about? Hey, hey, you know what, I, you know what that means, huh? <laughs> Big socks, <laughs> bro. He's got that Hawaiian wood. <laughs> but, but no, I think that it's definitely necessary. And like at the highest level, you see these guys that are like the middles. Usually at the highest level, are able to take some balls and like some responsibility and not blow it. Like on the national team, everyone can set. Max is a good setter. You're a good setter. Dave's a good setter. Ball control wise, they can take short balls. Like when it gets to that level. The middles are legit. Simone is like cut serving gnarly cuts and like mm-hmm. can set. Everyone, everyone at that level can do it. It's just that level in between where they're specified and they're big, but they, they're they not required to like, they're not held to that same standard that everyone else is and they kind of get away with it. Yeah, Whereas because, the top level teams, if you touch it and it's not good, no matter who you are, it's like, it needs to be good. I mean, 100%. And what my argument, what my, I was just saying, what my argument is, is, middles who aren't good at it we don't need to force it like you don't just because some coaches have this philosophy that middles should be set like okay the guy can't do it why are we forcing this i i see it too often just watching volleyball that's uh, that's kind of like how that's kind of like how i feel like coaches need to use their personnel way more like there's not a lot of like coaches that is like every year whoever they have they're willing to change their systems based on what they have everyone kind of like so stuck in like, okay, this is what I am as a coach. And it's like, you got a big opposite this year and then next year you don't. Like, how are you going to use your players and get the best out of what you got? And like strategize based off that. And a lot of people aren't doing that, I feel like, as coaches. It's very system oriented and they do it this way. And like, you plug players into a system instead of like, oh, Taylor's a really good second setter. Like, let's play to the net and play with some speed or anything like that. Not being done as much. Well, it's interesting, actually. We have a we have a new coach. Our coach got fired like a month ago. Like, you want to? What? Can you? Weren't you guys like you? Can you touch on that situation with Pierre? No, no. In fact, I wish you wouldn't have said his name. It's totally fine. I I'd rather I'd rather not. um, Okay. But it's a pretty simple scenario. Our coach was this like little Italian dude, and. he had quite the like traditional ego kind of like we are men we must be like men he was a really nice i actually really like got to i think something as i'm getting older i'm learning to just accept people for who they are and so he was someone where i was like i can accept you for who you are you're not going to be a coach that's going to like have an impact on my future in terms of like i'm learning something from you um and his his style and and approach was like so traditional and it, what's really been what I really would love to touch on, which I think is just really interesting is you would assume when you get to like the highest levels, um, that coaches would, would be a representation of the level you're playing at. And I found that to be like such a disappointment in my professional career. And obviously it's like more or less subjective. Um, but I, I hear the same complaints in the locker room about how practice is boring or like it'll only take a few weeks for us to get to know a coach. And we're like making jokes about the way he talks or like his style or like the way he's like coaching or reacting to things. And it's just like, dude, it honestly makes me so sad. And, um, I think to some degree, 
the example I give, and I know you boys can can probably feel probably feel very similarly. Um, like a coach like Milan Zarkovic absolutely changed the way I perceive volleyball, the way I train, the way I've adopted, like some of the things I learned from him. And I take them into the environment that I don't have control in, like an environment within an environment, an inception of environment to create more like chaos in my training or more game real realistic type situations. And I think that's a big, to bring that back. It's like the big problem that I see is it's not just the coaching. It's like the training environment and for example, like when you get to the professional level, at least the way we've been trained, I've been training with last year in France was like one of the worst where we play, we'd like do hitting lines for like 30, like middles never got a chance to work on a skill like setting. Um, and I just think it's like such a disappointment. And to, to your point, you see at the highest level for a middle to make it at the highest level, they either need to be like 11 feet tall or they need to be good at all the skills. And even the super tall guys, are normally pretty decent at setting out a system balls, you know, like broken plays and being able to do something athletic. Um, I don't know. I just think that's really interesting. And it, it it's really made me sad that more than less coaches I've had, um, I've just felt like over a disappointment. Well, do you think uh, also that that is a little bit in part of you being at a developmental stage when you're reaching these coaches because i feel like milan had came into the usa gym and not had that effect on some guys that were like True. this is a little bit different in my mind and people are like pretty stuck in their ways and then the coach is not coaching it's kind of just like a manager of people well that's that's a really interesting concept and for example guys by the way i started a podcast like a few weeks ago it's not a big deal i released an episode i didn't Plug. tell anyone about it. i'm kind of embarrassed about it doesn't matter Anyways, oh, I, talk, I talked it, with plug it right now. <laughs> it's called tallest podcast on earth. Uh, just started it. Anyways, I, tallest I uh, podcast. yeah. Okay. And, uh, and so I did an interview with Austin Einhorn and he's wrote a book on coaching skill, that kind of thing, that type of, um, anyways. So <clears throat> something I had mentioned with him was the same idea about Milan and like the impact he had on me. And the part that I, we discussed a little bit was as a coach, this is where things are interesting, right? Is like, to me, Milan's style of training, dude, I miss it so much. I miss showing up to the gym and I know we're going to play some game I haven't played. And I know I'm going to get to like pass that hit as a middle, especially like it lights me up, dude. My heart, I start to jitter, you know, I get so excited. And like, I don't get that anymore because I know now, for example, I'll, I mean, we're going to do hitting, we're going to do a basic warm up, do hitting lines. My point is what's really hard is I was, I was actually so surprised when Milan came to the gym, I was like, I can't dude. this is like the godfather of volleyball to me. I love this guy and like, not just his passion as a coach and who he is, but his style of training. I just love so much. And I was so excited to like, get to share that with other players on the national team. And it was, it like blew me away how, and I'm going to sound like an anarchist or something, but like how brainwashed, uh, all these, all these athletes were that they just needed, they needed that same, like throw the ball back and forth. And then we pepper and then let me slowly do my blocking warm up and like let's then we'll hit a bunch of like no block like hitting lines and i i just was like so surprised and so then they got asked to do something different and how do you tell a guy like micah matt thomas jeski like guys who i really love like are such good people but like couldn't they were just like nah i'd rather just like go off on the side and do this like this is stuff for kids you know like running around and moving your hips around and tossing the ball straight up and then running and touching a line like you know but dude, I see so, so much value in that. And 
I've just been surprised that every team I've been on, it's like, I've never found anything close to it. It's always like they, it's like there's been this scroll passed down from coaches and they just like open the scroll and they're like, today we will do uh, hitting lines and then hitting lines with a serve. You know, it's just like, it makes me so sad, dude. And it fires me up, dude. I just was curious if you guys had the same experience. Dude, I tell people this all the time when because people ask about everybody knows Milan first of all I realized everybody knows who this guy is has been coached by his son in some way and dude I've never felt more like just refined and like just in sync with my serve any any skill like you're just so like in touch with everything because of the style in which he trains it's like I know if I want to hit there I could hit there with maximum speed and nowadays like I'm constantly trying to figure out I feel like sometimes, like in my even in my past three years, uh, there's been like a whole week where I haven't served a single ball in Hawaii. We didn't go a whole twelve hours without like doing like some sort of like hit. You're attacking from like the ten foot line, and you take a step back, and you're hitting from there, and it's from the end line. But that type, like, and coaches all the time ask me why he does the stuff that he does, and some of the stuff I can't even like really explain. But I just know for me, it just helps so much. Um, I can help and I you. try to explain to the best of my ability. And it's like he grows, like he start. he always talks about how he starts from like, and he, all his practices start from this really simple thing and like close, uh, close in proximity and you grow from there. And he always talks about like, that's how you build control and you build confidence. Um, and all the drills do that. And I, and I try to explain that. Like he always talks about like every single practice is designed like you build on top of each other. You build everything. And then the whole month of training is built on top of each other. And all that, there's like progress and there's a plan. Or like you talked about, you run into coaches outside of uh, that gym now. It's just like, okay, it's the same thing. There's nothing really being built at all. There's nothing really being um worked on that you feel and so it's frustrating and there's no and you don't develop any confidence in a skill because it's like all right well do the same drill every day and i haven't really worked on <laughs> i feel like i haven't worked on anything it's just um and there's no like uh accountability that's the other thing he the accountability has for all those drills if you're not doing your job right the entire drill is effed up um and he's so and if one guy's not doing his job he's on his ass like immediately and you're kind of like back in focus Dude, and, and just, I just want to touch on this really quick. Something also I like about him is when he yells at you, it's done in this way of because you respect him so much, you don't take it as like my coach is yelling at me. You take mm -hmm. it like this guy who believes in me is holding me to a higher standard. And I think that's such a miscommunication because I think a lot of coaches, that's their idea, that's their plan, but they do it in a way where it's like, dude, you haven't proven, like, I don't respect you as a coach. And that seems to be the biggest problem that I see. Um, I do want to touch on like what you said about sometimes you're like not even sure what you're working on. You're just working on something with his style of training. Something I think is interesting. And again, I talked about last week was uh, this idea of like owning a skill. And I think the problem that I'm seeing is like at the highest level, like free, free attack or like hitting lines. I've already owned the skill of hitting the ball. In fact, I've probably owned it to a point of, even if there's a commit block on me. And so I think what gets difficult or what I think coaches aren't continuing to reach for is you have these players who own these like really technical baseline foundational skills. Now you need to, you need to in some way create some novelty for them because otherwise they're not learning. And so that's the part that I think frustrates me so much. And so for example, like taking Milan's practices and and i i've 
I've started over the last like three or four years creating like my own environment to feel like I'm in that environment, even though I'm in an environment that's like not up to me. So for example, like serving a ball. Now, obviously ser serving a ball, like we all in this gym, I would say even in this gym, in this room, including, we're not even in the same room. Anyways, Gage, all of us can serve a ball. And I would say we own the skill to like jump serve a ball, right? Now it's still obviously it's a hard skill, especially like in a game, which is why you miss sometimes that's fine. But to continue to like sharpen that sword, I think the ability to, can you serve from the left side? Can you serve from the right side? Can you serve with just two steps? Can you serve with a full approach? Like really playing around, like changing angles. I think that's something at least now that I try to do to continue to push myself in that way. So if we're doing some boring drill and it's like, serve, receive, you know, there's no pressure. There's nothing. Guys are just kind of going through the motions. And to me, that's not like, that's not really focusing on getting better at a skill. It's just kind of going through the motions. Why? Because we've been doing it for like over a decade, you know? And so changing things up, changing the way you take an approach, changing from where you're serving the ball. And that was even a new one for me. I was pretty like, I like to serve from one six and I'm just going to go that way every single time. And so I started trying to play with where I serve the ball from. And even just doing something like that and something in Milan's drills, he's, he's tossing the ball at six meters. Like he never, at least the way I remember him, like he never just like gave someone a free ball. He would just throw a ball up in the air and someone had to initiate the free ball. Like that skill of having to react. And then in that moment, make a decision of who's hitting this ball. Where am I going to put this ball? Like, I just think that there's is so much value and it's such a simple, basic, um, tool that like scales to every different skill you're trying to work on. Um, and I just find so much value in that. And I just think it's like, it's really, really sad to me that I feel like every year it's like, to some degree, I feel like I'm on my own to get better at skills. Mm -hmm. Dude, I, I, all this stuff you just hit, hit it right on point. Like this Milan style training and people all the time, it's hard for me to fully encapsulate everything that he does and trains. You just have to go like watch train. People go watch his train, like what's going on? Like a lot of the times. And what you just talked about, how like stuff translates for me, like something at, and after the match, I realized immediately, like th this is something we do every single day. The Big West final for us, my senior year, I was not serving well for my normal position where I serve in one. And then I'm just like, I'm going to switch it up, go from five. And that's something we do every day in practice. And then all of a sudden I started like hitting like way better balls. I'm like, but this is something we train every single day. We're like right now in the style of training that I've been in the past three years, I don't have the confidence to be able to go do that and like hit the, hit the same quality ball that I would if I was like in kind of like Milan's training sessions. And like the stuff that he does, like you never feel uncomfortable when you toss the ball outside your body because that's something he does to you all the time. And you're stepping and you close and have to snap it in. Like all that type of stuff is just like game-like situations that happen all the time. And he just gets you really comfortable. And so um, I know we got off a lot on this. And we talked, Micah has so many questions always about Milan, and I try to answer it to the best of my ability. But I think like today really uh, gave him a better look in, inside kind of how yeah. Milan and um, I, has uh, built his athletes. Totally. And the way that I describe it in my head is like Milan brings this sense of chaos. And in the game, there is this floating sense to some degree of chaos, at least as a middle, like, Hold, like I got to read what's my middle doing? Where's the, like, there's so many little cues I'm picking up on. So my ability to react to different chaos, chaotic situations. I mean, that's the difference between like those little points that have you win the fourth or fifth set, you know, like broken play. Now Micah, the setter has got to hit a ball from 
three meters and it's a little outside the antenna and you can put that ball over and you're not just like having to set the ball over. That stuff makes a huge difference. And I think happens more than we talk about or more than we think about those little tiny touches, reaction touches that make a huge difference. And so when you see coaches like standing on the ground, hitting balls at people, then they hit a ball that's like a little out of the Libero's reach and the, and the coach is like kind of apologizing. Like, I hate that, you know, like I like the randomness. I like the chaos because what I, the biggest thing, the last <clears throat> thing I'll talk about, we don't have to talk about them anymore. Uh, the biggest translate translation I saw was like, we trained in a way that made, made things feel chaotic. So then when we played six on six, it, it literally started feeling like the game slowed down so much. Now I'm like, we're, I'm siding out and I have like 15 seconds to be at the net or to like, like everything felt so slow and like so in my control because we trained in an environment that felt heavily chaotic. And you can't really understand what he's saying to some degree. So you're like kind of figuring drills out as you go. And yeah, dude. It's so funny because that couldn't be more drastically different than my upbringing because mm. mine is like the most disciplined, like military-esque, basic, simple, like we never played six on six. So we never even had the chaos of a game. We actually like had dumbed it down where it's like, I just pass a hundred balls and then two, he passes a hundred balls and then we do free balls. And then we set a hundred balls and then we serve a hundred. And it's like, it's funny because we came to the same realization where it's like, we would get into a game and everything would be really easy, simple. And like, we would break it down into like every touch. Cause we, we've done that touch a hundred times. And so like, we kind of would come to the place you guys were in where we felt like everything was slow, but from a way, from the extreme opposite style of training, mm. which is kind of, kind of interesting. Cause we had reached it. Like when I was in a game, we, everything was, and I've never felt more in touch with like, I've never felt more confident in my life than when I was training like that. And the game was so slow even though we never played six on six, my dad had just convinced us like we've done every one of these contacts. We just never do it like against another team. So you just do it how you do it. Did you enjoy training that style of training or like, oh, did you enjoy so much? Yeah. Man. It was the most meditative, like, and I was such a rascal kid. Like I, I got, I was in the principal's office every day and every day in practice, I wouldn't say a word. And like, I had the most joy and like, we all loved it. But we wouldn't talk. We it wasn't. It was such a different fulfillment. It wasn't like smiling and joking around. It this was like time. very focused work that just like was very fulfilling and like meditative. Mm. And we loved it. We loved it. I don't know from a Lavero's perspective. It's crazy. From a Lavero's perspective, I don't know. Obviously, that's all we do for you all and stuff. But like, my dad and Milan, like it's just all fast paced and like. Yeah. entertainment for me personally like, i, I like that this? like i like that way more like over here like it's definitely a lot slower and there's definitely times where i needed it to be a lot slower there's i feel like there's times for taking it slow and times for taking it fast that's the one thing about milan and sometimes i felt like i was like okay i need instead of adding all these three things into one maybe i should just focus on this one thing and then get there you know what i'm saying um so just kind of different. But it takes a certain amount of like intention. If you're going to do it like the slow way, yeah. you need like a group that's going to do it together. Yeah. Or like, like you need to be like Kobe where it's like, or Tom Brady, where they're just Tom Brady practices like five step dropbacks for two hours. Dude, yeah, but throw a ball. the part I'm curious. But it, that, oh, keep going. But in that practice, he finds it like 
very rewarding in a different sense of like it's not like this crazy novelty and it's not like but it's just like meditative and it becomes like a part of you and you can just do it see it now I, just like when it's in the game it's just like wow like, the example I've done this, it's so nice dude the example i think about when i'm hearing you say this is like setting into a target do you think that a coach just throwing up a ball like a perfect pass ball and you're just or like a little maybe moves you around a little bit but just setting into a target how much is that actually helping you on the skill of setting a ball in a match because in a match it's just so much different like you're basing like to some degree you're basing it on what you see through your peripheral vision right the, like the tempo that they're coming in whether that's with the middle or the outside like kind of getting an, a feeling of like did he pass the ball inside what's his approach like like what's maybe you're taking a peek and seeing like how is the block set up like there's just so many things going on and so when I see people just like setting into a target in my head, I'm just like, I don't know, dude. I think to some degree, like you own the skill of setting. And it's not that just that everything has to be harder. It's I that think... everything has to challenge you in some way for there to be a learn, like a connection where you're actually learning something. Well, I think one way that we got lucky was that we would do that and we only did it like an hour and a half, three times a week. But then outside of that, like I, play baby court for like 10 hours and like there's no structure there and we're doing whatever we want and then I play basketball and like football and so I was getting the like novelty and the like experimenting and like all of this chaos outside of like that very for regimented sure. practice and I think probably that's why there's a little bit of that to my game as well like the chaos because I've, I've played more on the jungle gym than I have in a Wait, serious setting. Micah, you're a freak athlete. That is for sure. And your childhood had so much to do with it. That's very apparent in just the athlete that you've become. Just, I'm curious. Do you think a coach tossing balls and setting them into a net makes you a better setter? Like, do you think that that has yes. some value? I, like in my own personal opinion, yeah, I do think it makes you a better setter. But I don't think that that's the only thing you need to be doing. But I think that working on fundamentals and like while I'm setting, I'm not aiming for the target. I'm like, okay, feed the ball this whole this whole mm. round. And then it's like, okay, finish. I'm working my finish. And then it's like when I get people on the court, I've worked on my fin like my fundamentals are there. Mm -hmm. And I can where I where I see you, I can now place the ball. But like if it's without an intention, I think you're gonna lose like setting into a target for an hour with no intention. Bro, you're set you're set up to set a ball. Beneficial. If I close my eyes, dude, I can see it every time. You got these just beautiful paddles. You do this like beautiful paddle thing. <laughs> so You've always done the paddle. You've always said that there's paddles. I wouldn't say it's aesthetically pleasing, but but I think if you do things with intention, you're gonna get better. And like a lot of the greatest at what they do of all time have worked on the fundamentals mm. and broken it down very to a very like scientific degree and done the basics a lot over and over and over like Kobe or Tim Duncan or like those guys when you watch them practice they're very like intentional they're not just oh let's play like let's play jungle ball and like Kobe doesn't go in there and play jungle ball and LeBron doesn't go in there and play like they're very intentional mm. about their work but they also have like the ability to in chaos break it down and and stay calm and all that kind of stuff that's mentally specific to them mm. Taylor, I've gone, I've gone like before Hawaii when I was like, I target all the time, target, target. And then I get, and I start work with Milan and he's the, he's, he doesn't want to see a freaking target in his sight. <laughs> he doesn't, he hates mm -hmm. that stuff. 
And yeah, more and more I worked with that. I'm like, yeah, I and I totally understand why. And the work I did with him helped me so much. And then after Can you give an example of what that looked like just for people maybe who are interested? He would so he would always when I was especially in my first two years, he would always be like, All right, you go grab two hitters and he would always like stress to me. I met with him like constantly my first two years. He's like, make sure you have connections with these guys. Like he'd always make point, uh, make a point to make sure he's like, these are the guys you need to have a connection with in order to like get more and more playing time. Um, and it wasn't necessarily like the guys you would think all, uh, about all the time. Um, but he's like, these are like the key guys like for you. And so I'd always push like, obviously guys like Capone stuff like that. Um, when Rado was there in his early years, I was getting him in and, uh, and it would be just a series of balls. Like it would be like a series of melandrils that would get me in different positions. And I'd be coming from different places always. Like he changed up the direction and it wouldn't even be like natural setting, like locate. I'd be coming from like area five corner, like spring down from there, understanding like how to get my body in the right position and in a balanced position um, and being simple also. He's like, so he'd create chaos. And then at the end, he'd want me to be like really simple on contact. Mm. Um, and to be honest, like I, uh, I still, I missed so much of that training with him, but there was, and it was always like every, he would always say every single hitter is so different. Um, especially in area four, he's like the location, the height, how far you need to put, uh, get a guy out to the pin is so different for every single hitter. I'm not going to set up a target here and have you set into a target because the realistic, uh, scenario is like that target probably is not even a hittable ball for any of our hitters like none of our hitters want the ball there Dude, yeah. and he's like and uh and so he was a big advocate for that but then the past three years overseas it's a, a i have coaches who love target work and i found like ways for it to be beneficial for me and i understand like breaking the skill down and stuff but it doesn't have the same sort of i don't feel the same sort of rhythm as i did with milan because it's just mm -hmm. like ball after it's so many balls so repetitive if you don't have time to think about oh where'd my freaking thumb finish or where like what was contact like i wasn't thinking about that like where now i'm like thinking about the smallest things and when i do that to be honest i feel like i don't set and i'm um not at my best um when i'm thinking about that and with milan it's just like there's no like thinking about that stuff and that he would break he would break it down at times and he talked like there's a couple things that he would talk to you about but he doesn't want you just thinking about your uh, mechanics of setting. And I think, dude, I think there's so much value in that, right? Like, for example, on the national team, <clears throat> I think we train, John sometimes really breaks things down and we spend like, we talk a lot about these tiny little details and to some degree for me, and I was, I was raised on Milan school to some degree, you know, like I find that it's almost too, like we are almost doing it too much. It feels like we're talking way too much about these tiny little like we just need to train situations that uh, create an environment for these situations that discuss those things within the environment, you know? And that's what I loved about Milan's style of training was like, it added this, uh, it's like he was teaching you things without words. Like you were learning things without potentially just focusing on that one thing. And I just think that that's really cool. And I think that I don't know that I just learned a lot from my time there. Um, I, I completely know. agree with that. I completely agree with that. I think like things are overanalyzed a lot in that gym. And like when you're not thinking like, cause I've done a few of Milan's kind of stuff and I love it. And I'm like, this is perfect. Like I, 
it's very reminiscent of actually like when when I was re- even though it's really broken down the skills we didn't think we didn't talk like nothing was we're, we're with like Tui and Evan and it's like dude just pass the ball it's like we didn't use like shoulders over your eyes and like angles we were just like just get the ball there dude, and like to some degree we, you learned you play a little jungle that's ball, just dude. how we operated we're just we're just like dude don't freaking think like even Tui like Tui came I remember Thornton loved this comment because Tui came with us to France and was following the game plan and had like no digs and Tui comes off the court he's like dude why the heck am I freaking following this game plan I'm the stupidest person on, on the on the team I just gotta just do whatever I want and he comes to Thornton he's like dude Thornton I'm just gonna dig the ball just don't don't, don't tell me where to go I'm like yeah exactly like dude like that's just how we did it there was no thinking like and that's such Dude. I think it's done. It's too over. Well, and for example, like I just, I just built this blocking course. Right. And I, I started getting right. feedback. People still ask me questions like, how do I get better at read blocking? Like in some way there's this like magic skill that if you're just so like, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. the truth is like with something as simple as that. And I think read blocking transfers into so many other skills in every position, just reading the game. And people always ask me like, is there some shortcut basically to reading? And while what you're doing with your eyes is an interesting one to look at, especially for kids who are a little younger and helping them become more efficient with like for in that course, we talk about like being efficient with our hands, with our feet, things, strategies we can do to make up for lost time, which is everything as a middle blocker. But I think just getting good at read blocking, it's like, dude, there's no substitute for playing baby court when you're 10 years old, you know, like playing on the beach, playing as much as you can. You just, that's the best way to get better. It's actually that simple, you know? Yeah. And I think kids are learning, like they're trying to learn all these techniques and all these things at like such an early age. And to some degree, I'm like, bro, just go play. Like, it's actually that easy and it's way more fun, you know? Right. I don't know. We talked a lot about training. No, it's awesome. People love this stuff. I'm sorry. So many people ask about the Hawaii training, like gym and stuff. And you have to be in it to really like fully comprehend. <laughs> like it's, I agree. we, so we can sit here and explain stuff. And even people who are in it, like you're saying the summer he came into the USA gym, uh, I was working with the Pan Am group mostly. And it was so hard for guys to, and it was, the issue was it was such a short period of time and they're so used to something and it's just like thrown onto them. And it's just like, and for Milan, it was, he's getting into an environment that he's not used to either. Um, mm. And he's got all these people trying to tell him what to do. And he's just like, I know he wasn't super thrilled yeah. about it. I spoke to him a couple of times um, throughout the training blocks. And he was just frustrated a lot. And it, the guys didn't make it easier. Like me and Colton and those guys are just telling guys, just just listen to what he has to say. And it's and his style of training is not something like he where he comes in for two weeks and then he's going to make a total difference. Like that's something you build over four years. And you see like why Hawaii every single year now they're having guys step up in like three, yeah. four years into it now, every single guy's able to compete at a pretty high level. Like there's guys on the team right now when I was there, I'm like, I don't even know how this guy's in the gym, I'll be honest. Mm. And like now he's contributing part of the uh, team and they're playing really well. And they're just, mm-hmm. he's done so much for that program. Everybody you talk to, like he, he worked with the top, all the top players you see with the Serbian national team were all developed by him mm-hmm. at some point. It's um, so interesting though, because, because we, I think, we are kind of the guys that if Milan comes in, we can figure it out and kind of do it and like have a great time. But at the same time, the people that are like the best players on the national team, because we, 
technically we're not the best players. We're like all like free yeah. thinkers and we can we're well rounded, but like and Matt and like Matt and Mike and Eric, they're all like a lot more regimented people than us. And it's interesting to think of like we definitely have our school of thought, but to think that like we're not getting the results that their school of thought is getting. So it makes me a little bit like introspective into what we're doing wrong in a sense, but at the same time, it, in other aspects of our life, I would never trade who we like the experiences that we get from the way that we approach volleyball and life for the experiences they get in the way that they approach volleyball and life. And, and that's, I'm sure they'll say the same thing about trading their life for mine, but it's just interesting to think that, like the two different school of thoughts and how Milan is kind of more our coaches. He's more the coach of our school of thought than than their school of thought. Dude, and Milan's obsession not with to, short court is what really is. Milan's obsession with short court. Oh my gosh, he's that's a, and he's good. <laughs> dude. He's good. Dude, he's so good. Yeah. He's so, good. so dang good. Man. One on one in the three meter cheeks. with one bounce. With dude, the bounce, used to the bounce is so nasty. me in that. His control he's is crazy. So nasty. It's yeah. wild. Dude, so Char, I don't know if you know, I don't know if I said this in the podcast. Charlie, forbid it, because uh, somebody came under the net one time and rolled my ankle, like the one of the freshmen or something, and so he's like, "That's it, no short court, we're not doing this anymore." And Milan and I would sneak into club gym in like early morning, yeah, <laughs> early mornings, yeah. like Saturday, like and we'd have like three or four hour battles with each other. So sick. Because <laughs> Charlie, Dude, would- after I would, pra- <laughs> after the USA gym, after I would practice, I would stay to like for Pan Am to finish and then play short court for like an hour and a half with Joe Gage and, or Cupono. Cupono. Joe Cupono and, and, and Milan. I was just like, dude, I, I got to play short court. <laughs> and he's freaking good, man. He's goaded. So good. And he, and he lets you know, let me tell you. I, I just have, <laughs> I just have since we're on, like, we talked about Milan training, but anyone who follows your Instagram definitely sees that you're very good about posting about what you do, like, like strength-wise and and band resistance and just kind of working out and of course that song like i'm working out like that song that's, dude i'm trying you know, to collab with that guy he has it a, is oh, i gotta that, get him to that, DM that's your song back, man bro. i'm like i want to go on stage and work out like at his concert I'm like bro you're some like australian like nobody knows who you are come on why don't you respond to me dude 100 percent. he should <laughs> miss opportunities so so like but a lot of them are stuff i've never seen before so how do you come up with this like how do you come out and how do you know it works and like, cause I feel like a lot of stuff you do is like beneficial to a lot of positions. So how did you come up with this stuff? Like the research and whatnot and, and, and the time it takes. Uh, that's a great question. Um, so, I mean, a part of my story was I was just a tall kind of baby fat boy, you know? I wasn't like thick, but you know what I mean? I, I was just, I was never like a clearly like great athlete. You know, I wasn't like natural jumper. I wasn't. And so when I had shoulders, so I went to UC Irvine, transferred to Hawaii. When I got to Hawaii after my freshman year, I had shoulder surgery. And when I was there, I met a guy named Daniel Marchong and he worked with the women's basketball team there. But I had heard like guys like uh, Taylor Crab triborn josh taylor if you guys remember who that is um some of those guys some of the hawaiian dudes had worked with this guy and so i got introduced to him and he had this style of training that was just like so unorthodox and 
he was actually in the gym a lot. So he would help me. <clears throat> we used a machine called an ARP and he would help me with some of the rehabilitation of my shoulder after having surgery. Now at that time, I also was let go from the team at Hawaii. So I was in this moment for the second, I mean, kicked off the second school program. So I was in, I had this moment of like, we were, you know, I was with Jeff Hall and we were talking about my opportunities to play. Now I couldn't play in the NCAA anymore. I had to go play in Canada and talking about going to like McMaster dude. And I remember like being at blazing stakes, just like crying, dude, blazing stakes, blazing stakes, dude. And I was crying just like, I can't believe that I'm at this point. I cannot believe that this is happening and just decided like, like, a like, it's like, I don't know if you guys got spanked as a kid, dude, but we got spanked with a wooden oh, spoon. Yeah. And it just reminds me of like, I did something wrong and I know it. And I could see my mom or dad like walking to the hallway closet. That's where they kept the spoon. And there's like walking there. I'm like, okay, okay, Taylor. Okay. And they just walk over there. And I'm just like, no way, please. And I'm just like, <laughs> me, please. It's like freaking out. Like my brain's just like exploding <laughs> with ideas of how can I get out of this? And that's more or less what happened to me at that point. Um, going into my sophomore year was I was like, dude, I can't, this can't be final. This can't be how my career ends. And so I met him and was like, Hey, help me go all in on rehabbing my shoulder. But like, I just want to redefine myself as an athlete and his style of training to some degree, like Milan. And I got introduced to them in the same year was like, Whoa, this is way different. This is so challenging. I'm enjoying this so much. And so I met with Daniel six months later, got back on the team as a punishment, had to play a middle blocker, which is why we're stuck there today. But <clears throat> I, I came back after those six months of not being on the team in January, like completely redefined myself as an athlete. And his style was like uh, this combination of like long hold isometrics and explosive, being explosive. And just like, he turned me, literally I owe so much of my athletic career to him in my heart, you know? Um, because I went from in that, in those six months during having shoulder surgery, I went from a 26 inch vert to a 36 inch vert in six months. And I was just like, there's no way, like I'm shaped like a, like an actual big bird, you know? And I just was like, there's, I just can't, be I couldn't believe it. It really changed my life, which is why to some degree now I'm so passionate about that side of things. Cause I really degree, I really believe that so much of your athletic ability while there's like childhood there's so many things that genetics that play a role into your potential how long you last in your career and your future athletic ability there's also so much in between that can be built and i had never experienced it until then and that's what started this train of like oh maybe i don't just need to like work on my bench press and squat super heavy weight to be a good athlete um and met with daniel and we didn't we never lifted a weight over 80 90 pounds dude so it just completely trained, <clears throat> changed my idea. And as things evolved, then I met a guy named Austin Einhorn who owns um, a Piros team. And he has a bit more of like a evolutionary side of things, right? The side that we're humans who evolved from monkeys. That's a really dumb way of putting it down, but like, and we evolved to swing and do different things and climb. And so he brings this uh, holistic evolutionary perspective um, that I also was like, oh, this is amazing. We kept my shoulders healthy. I mean, it's been, you know, 10 years since I had shoulder surgery and I haven't had any problems. Um, I've had a few injuries in between, but like, so my actual problem now is feeling like I know too many methodologies, you know? Hmm. And so my journey now is trying to, and continuing to create what I feel like works for me. 
because at one point I was doing uh, Daniel's style of like isometric explosive and I saw what it did from athletic ability. I started adding in these like evolutionary concepts that were also uh, associated more with just like being like human first athlete second kind of, you know, and I, I stopped sitting in chairs for my first like three years professionally. I first thing I would do is get rid of my furniture and get like a wrestling mat and get a rug and put the rug over it. And that was how I came home and sat. That's how I watched TV. That's how I, and that had a huge impact on like my mobility, just how good I felt in general, because I was constantly like changing positions. Cause let's be honest, like sitting on the floor isn't as comfortable as sitting in this nice wooden chair, you know? So um, all of that to say like, that's now what you see on my Instagram is me just like throwing up information uh, trying to share ideas and concepts um, and really now trying to give back. And that's kind of where I'm at now is like really feeling like it's my chance to, to give back, to show another way and to try to offer myself as a part of the solution instead of just seeing like all this noise on Instagram. I mean, I've, I've in my, in my career of Instagram, that's really sad to say, um, <clears throat> deleted it twice, you know, because I was just like, I don't like being the guy posting. I feel like it just takes me away from being in the moment and I'm just such a go with the flow kind of dude. And so um, it's taken a lot for me, even to this day to like, just post something, dude, like do something. Cause I started getting that feedback, which I'm sure you guys have got without a system because what you're doing is also so amazing. Um, and you start getting this feedback like, oh, this is actually like helping people. People find value in this. Like I'm actually providing value now. Um, and so rather than taking a seat on the sidelines being like, I don't want any part of it. I finally got to the point where it was like, I feel like it's my time to give back. I feel like I have a lot to say. Um, and I'm just so tired of just seeing like garbage. And that goes from like specific training to also, um, I just think there's this lack of awareness for athletes. And there's so many athletes I know that are just like, oh, what do I have to do? Just do this. Okay. And they don't understand and learn about their own body. They're not taking note on things that I think scale and translate and are um, really valuable. Or I find them really fun. I, I enjoy the process really. Well, from a viewer's perspective, I can guarantee. And I'm, I'm like I said, uh, I don't even play middle blocker, but I find a lot of those things with explosive work like super beneficial, and that's what I'm learning this year. Like, thankfully, like my guy this year, our strength coach, is all about like explosive work and everything like that. It's not about lifting heavy. I used to have a lot of um, quad, pro like a lot, like to the point where it was like a knife stabbed me in the knee. Like when I was at Hawaii, like I couldn't even like go downstairs without like, and and I don't even jump. But now mm -hmm. all that all those problems are fixed because we do so much band work. We do I didn't have to do so much explosive work, not really with heavy weight, but just like controlled explosive work. And I think that's the most important. And my brother always stressed that stressed that to me. He's like, you don't need to go squat or like bench press. It's like just and, go do band work. And to be clear, like the stuff you see on my Instagram isn't actually a lot of it isn't like, hey, this is for middle specifically. Um, I do also try to take more of the human first athlete second. It's a concept that I've learned that I think uh, there's so much more value in why, because at, to continue. And as we all grow in our career, you know, I'll be 30 in March. Um, I recognize that it's actually about who can stay the healthiest, the longest, because whether you want to or not, you're getting better at volleyball. You just are, you know? And, and I just think that so many kids are like so hyper focused with how can I jump higher? How can I hit higher? Like those are the DMS I get all the time. Right. And I try to, you know, 
trying to be a part of the solution means not giving them like some bullshit or just selling them on some program. It's like, Hey, the reality is like, if you didn't really do much about it and you just played volleyball every day, you'll jump higher. You'll hit harder. You just will. Cause anything you practice consistently, you get better at that's for right. pretty much everything in life. Um, and so I try to focus more on let's address that because let's feed the ego. Let's stroke it a little, you know, it feels good. I'll, I'm sure all of us to some degree wish we could jump higher. Maybe not Michael, Michael, you're quite the athlete. But I don't know, like, Joe, I'm sure you're like, oh, I wish I could jump higher, you know, or like, I wish I was a little stronger. And to me, it's it's now become a quest of how can we address all of it, but make sure we're addressing the most important part first, which is how can we stay healthy? You know, what do I need to start doing to building a healthy base and avoid the common injuries we see? Knees, ankles, hips, shoulders. Um, and so that's a bit of my quest now is like, to some degree, you got to attract people with like my tip to jumping higher, you know, and everyone's like, Oh, what's the tip, you know? And then I try really hard <laughs> what <is> it? <laughs> you know, to add in like, Hey, it's also like, if you just do this one thing, it's not going to do anything. And jumping higher doesn't mean anything. If a year later you have to get surgery on your knee. Um, yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, all the workout. Yeah. You have some really yeah. and people, uh, I think on my team last year asking me about, the, the one was, I think, were you doing push-ups, like, on, with the weights? Like, I don't even know what you call it. You had, you had two um, plates where you're doing push-ups on top of. And then they were, like, I had my teammates are trying to do with their feet on top of, like, the weights balancing, too. Is that something you're doing with the plates? I was doing, yeah, I was doing that. You did something this, like, like that. My teammates are, like, oh, they're trying all this you, different you stuff. You get, like, let's say, like, thick 45-pound weights, and you get four of them, and you have to be in, like, a crawl position and see yeah. how far you can go. It's, dude, it was so hard. I went, like, two feet and was like, who can do it? And no one could do it. <laughs> it's impossible, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a doable challenge. No, it's not. I need more of those un undoable challenges. Yeah, you should, you should call it the impossible challenge number one and then keep numbering them. That's a great idea. I love the impossible that. challenge. That, that <laughs> would like... be a really good idea, dude. <laughs> I love the, that. Uh, well, Taylor, Micah also has a match today. I know he wants to get some sleep. Um, yeah. And you are a busy man, too. We have a couple of just random – so we put out on Instagram. Um, we always like unique questions, like questions like how do you jump by yourself like that? We're like – we look over those a lot because I feel like we answer them a lot. So we uh, we have a series of questions that really have nothing to do with anything we were talking about or volleyball in general that I think would I mean, I can't even believe we just talked bit. about volleyball for like an hour. So. I know. It's – that. It was a lot, but it was yeah. good. It was a good conversation. People are going to like it. Volleyball intensive podcast you've ever done. Yeah. Easy. Wait, but but it was good. It was awesome. Intensive person. <laughs> Very fitting then. So I'm going to, I'm going to rattle off just a couple of questions. Maybe everybody can give a quick, uh, quick answer too. Um, would you rather lay on a cloud or a bed of kelp? Well, that assumes the cloud can support me. Right. Yes. Like who? Who the? Fuck, who's choosing bed of kelp? <laughs> <laughs> what? Aquaman. It sounds <laughs> horrible, actually. Maybe. Uh, the clouds. The clouds. Okay. Yeah. yeah um, who's choosing bed of kelp? Bed of that's kelp. true. I don't know. It's. I'm just reading off questions. Um, how would you describe your brain in three words or less? I'll give you one word, goldfish. Bingo. <laughs> Correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> Bingo. 
Bingo. <laughs> Would you rather be a bird or a fish? Mm. Probably a bird. Yeah, I mean, fish. A bird. I mean, fish would be cool, but like, there's always a fish that's bigger than you. I feel like birds don't, they don't bother each other, you know, like different bird families that just like all do their own thing. And let's be honest, the most cliche reason would be just to like, you know, have your way, dude. You're the air traffic controller, just shit on people and just like do whatever, <laughs> dude. Birds like they're having so much fun. Birds, yeah, you can go see anything. You can go watch. My thing is like, well, I can go to any event, live event for free. Dude, you can sneak into movie theaters so without true. worrying about paying, you know? I saw a bird in a Polish movie theater a month ago. What? You can do whatever you want, dude. And yeah, I came in the theater and then someone kicked the exit out and then flew out the exit. And birds, are, birds are wild. <laughs> when do you feel most at home? Or what makes you feel most at home? Mm. Uh, just being in the sun, dude, honestly. Like, very put very simply, you know? I'm a, I'm Not a, a lot of that baby. in Poland. No. <laughs> Germany, where I'm in northern Germany, I haven't seen the sun in. Dude, this a is while. the most pale my skin has ever been. And I realize now why I hate being pale. Part of it is because like I just don't have great skin. I got like tons of moles. I got, I don't know if it's eczema or whatever, these like little white red dots. I like notice my skin gets redder. And so when I'm sunburned, it's like, oh, because I'm sunburned, what I don't realize is like I probably am just like eating something or something's happening internally <laughs> that's creating this like red skin feeling dude it's terrible i'm not a guy for pay i'd rather like give me the leathery skin i don't give a shit you know <laughs> nice and leathery nice outrigger the outrigger the outrigger uh, retired oh my god for sure dude <laughs> that's gonna be me up at like five in the morning on a paddleboard dude <laughs> dude yeah. that is the life those guys oh my gosh i'm like that every morning just, it's so sick i would love to go out there last question would you rather only be able to read or only able to speak I'm already doing one of those. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. So let that valid point. Itself. Valid point. No, no, no. I, yeah, exactly. 100%. Well, Taylor, before we let you off here, well, I want to give you a quick plug. I know, first of all, you got you got a lot of stuff going for you, right? You got the blocking course. You got your merch with the Drop Dimes um, collaboration, new podcast. You want to give a quick shout out to, and a quick plug to all those so all of our listeners can hear. Yeah, sure. First of all, if you're a middle blocker um, and you want to work one-on-one, -on -one, I just opened up two more slots for the month to work one-on-one. -on -one. It's something I just started doing a few months ago and have just found so much value in being able to work with people one-on-one. -on -one. And what I realized is there's just so many, especially in the middle position, there's just not a lot of good coaches. And so, I mean, we, we go over everything, right? I watch you film, we watch um, what the best players in the world are doing. I break down my course, all that stuff. Uh, if you're interested, contact me at taveril13. That's my Instagram. And also at Gmail is my email. Um, yeah, started a podcast, tallest podcast on earth. Who knows where it'll go, but I'm just going to get Robbie page on that. Yeah. Robbie page guys. He's awesome. a quirky. He's a fun guy too. He, and he's uh, Robbie's and he, great, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Robbie and I have had some wild times in Mexico specifically on a, when I was with the Pan Am team, we had a lot of fun, dude. 2014 was good times. Um, I just see him always doing stuff about being tall. So. Yeah. Well, it's tell us podcast. So let's not, you know, it's not about me. It's not about my height. You know, it's just like, Oh, cute. Cause that doesn't make sense. Right. Whatever. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. I put out a middle blocking course. Uh, you know, I don't mean to like hype it up in any way, but 
I put so much time and effort into breaking down what it takes to be a good high level middle blocker. And Dustin and I put a lot of time into the editing process to make it look good. Um, just the whole production of it is like, it's unbelievable. And I don't mean to, again, just hype it up cause it's my thing. Like no one else is doing this dude. And yeah. plug to Dustin Wadden and Noisy Buckets. Like, dude, he's, he's starting the path. You guys also are like pushing the envelope of professional players giving back instead of people having to learn from like their coach who never played overseas or played in high school. And again, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it is also a part of the problem is there's not enough professional players speaking out about their experience, about what they've learned. Um, and so I feel really grateful to have even proven to myself that like I can put something out, put something that took me like 13 months to do to like take all the information you guys know as a libero, as a setter is, and break that down into tangible little nuggets to feed the, the children uh, is, is tough. And to even also make it like for a professional player for, and so in that course, we break down a lot of uh, blocking concepts that I think most pros don't even think about things. I never talked about things that I disagree with. And it's just me, a chance for me to like give my opinion on things. And I, I don't know, I feel really good about it. Also, uh, I just am launching a website soon. You won't.com your boy got the domain name. I'm pretty stoked. So we don't know what that'll end up being, but for right now, that'll be the space to, to help the middle blocker and volleyball community. Um, yeah. Awesome. That's awesome. That was unnecessarily long, but no, 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 no. I mean, you got lots of going on. That's why I kind of won't roll out the red carpet for you. And, we'll and dude, I'm again. curious from you guys. It's, it's tough. Like people don't realize like even doing a podcast, like posting so much on social media, like, man, it takes a lot of time and effort. It's not as simple as like you scroll and you see this like eight second reel and it's just like eight seconds to you, you know, or people are going to listen to this podcast and don't understand the like editing process and so much that goes with so many of those things. So commend you guys as well, because it's work, you know, and it's, it's satisfying and it's so fun to like build a community, but it takes a lot of time and effort on top of most likely being physically exhausted most days. And oh yeah, um, so good for you guys. I'm really stoked at what you guys are doing. Hey, thanks so much, Taylor. And yep. again, thanks so much for hopping on the pod and wish you best of luck, brother. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. Jeez. You can, you can handle the heat. Yeah. You can, you can handle the heat. Taylor April, definitely guy we're going to stay in touch with, do some collabs with because, oh, missed my mic over here, um, because that guy <laughs> is very, very interesting. And, you know, he, he, we were talking a little after and he just talked about how he usually isn't a volleyball guy, so that conversation could have gone in 20 different directions and uh, definitely a regular we can definitely have on the show for sure. Um, he's got a lot of stuff going on and we couldn't be happier for him or the, the volleyball community. But yeah. Um, but one, And then, uh, what was the one thing? Oh yeah, and then we were talking about No Easy Buckets and Micah, you said, I mean, I saw the post about No Easy Buckets. Does that oh, mean, come right. on, does that mean, is that like a setter course or what is that? No, 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 no. I, I was going to do a setter course a long time ago and then, Dustin was saying he could help me with it as well, but I just don't feel like I'm in that position. Mm -hmm. I'm not, it's like, I'm sure everyone goes through it. Even posting on Instagram, you go through it where it's like this imposter syndrome. It's like, who are, who am I to teach setting? Like, why isn't Micah Christensen doing this or like somebody better? Um, I'm still going through that just like everyone else is. Taylor said he was going through that as well. So I'm not at that point yet, but. I think it's just like a name, image, and likeness thing right now, mm-hmm. where he can use, he can use me if through stuff, and then I That's post good. a few things that he he'll prepare throughout the year, and 
it's every month like or that. no? It's not that. No, not every month. Okay. But it's but it's it's not that big of a thing. No, yeah, yeah. It's just nice, and and I think there's some coaching that's going to be going on where he'll help me find some people to coach because I did want to start doing that a little bit on the side. Right. Um, right. Hundred percent. Spread the love, baby. Yeah, spread the love. It's not going to be anything in contrast to that assistant. Oh no, family. No. So, so I never. Had, we, I mean, we never had a problem with that or anything. I think. Yeah, the, there's nothing like spread that. Spread your wings, brother. But it is crazy to see, like, now that I've had, now that we've had Taylor on, like, that there is a little bit of this growing in the industry. It's mostly Dustin, I would say, um, who's always been social media wise ahead of the game. Um, and then Taylor now, and then I would say out of system would be the three. Yeah. The three pillars. And we'll definitely this summer definitely the three do pillars a for sure. Do a lot of collab. And then McKibben, but McKibben's are more of the beach. Oh, game. of course. And the McKibben's, of course. Dude, so well my question is like so okay. just kind of started. Yeah, the McKibbins. Joe, your audio is really messed up right now. Hello, hello? Okay, there it is. Better. Um no, I was just saying that the McKibbins with what they got going on, like they only post. They do a four-man event. They post that. Uh, so, but they're working for Wilson and AVP right now, right? Because I was wondering, right. like, yeah. they're not playing anymore. So I was just wondering, like, what they've been up to. Because um, they've done a really good job growing an audience and Man, stuff. they and, are incredible as well. Yeah. Like, they're, everyone and everybody's more – we're, like, the one thing about us, and I think Taylor's going to fit more into our kind of space, is the type of – or how we view ourselves and how we view our – like the content where we want to go with things dude we want the lifestyle kind of thing more so and like the personalities more so than the develop like we want to be of of use and uh provide some sort of education that we can but for the most part we just like showing the lifestyle and growing a community that's what we're more about i feel like and so i think taylor's gonna fit more into that a technical aspect yeah the kibbins are also more entertainment than I feel like they're a little bit more event and like high. They're really good. Yeah. They're starting to do what they're trying to do is like higher events and yeah, higher level stuff. We're more like grassroots. I would say yeah. everyone we're the most the men on the ground, sure. the dirty sure. work, baby. <laughs> we're, 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 the, we're the five guys in a minivan kind of guys. Hundred percent. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And we'll always, we want, which is what we want. Yeah. Yeah. We're not gonna 100%. get on you guys. Don't worry. Well, I just want to, before, when we wrap it up again, you're going to be seeing a lot more Taylor on this channel for sure. We'll be staying in contact with him. And I uh, just want to give a sh- fat shout out to our sponsors here, Dr. Price Electrolytes. Use Addison 20, 20% off. Get nice and electrolyted. And also Manscaped. All capital volleyballs. Um, get 20% off free worldwide shipping. And just remember, if you can't handle the heat, goddamn kitchen. This has been another episode presented by Addison.